When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Part two of our unbelievable chat with Fat Tony. I love it. If you haven't heard part one, you're barking up the wrong tree here you need to go and listen to it head back to the feed go and have a listen if you have this is part two here you go in that gang that you found when you mm. arrived at that age how did you meet them was it just going to the right places because Literally that's at clubs at clubs right. that was it i mean i met my most of my friends working in the king's road because i worked mm-hmm. in the great gear market which is kind of like a and uh, the centre of quite a lot of uh, fashion at that point in time, people would go there on a Saturday afternoon. They'd walk up and down the King's Road. So I first met George there. I met my friend Richard Haverly there, and 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 our family kind of grew from there, you know, mm. because it was the tail end of the the whole new romantic movement and punk, mm. and it, it was moving into Westwood and everything else that was coming on. Everyone was dressing mm. as pirates, and and it was a really exciting time. But you know that's kind of where it happened and, and got to know everyone. And, you know, as I say, I was a very, very in your face, loud little queen that mm. was seeking attention, mm. very badly seeking attention. It's quite interesting. There were sort of almost factions, weren't there? Cause there mm. was the, the crew who were very out and yes. proud like boy George, but then there was sort of, there was George Michael who wasn't out. Bless right? his soul. Yeah. And that there was a bit of kind of rival, not rivalry, oh, but major rivalry. Yeah, of course. Really? You know, you're either in George's camp or, or in Yog's camp, which is Yog was George Michael. You're either yeah. in his camp or boy George's camp. You know, because everyone knew what George was. Yog was. Everyone knew it was. It was common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even George, at one point, still pretended that he'd rather a cup of tea than having sex to get out of the fact that he didn't uh. really want to say sexuality because his record company didn't really want him to at that point in time because mm. he was suddenly the schoolgirl's favourite artist. And, you know, it wasn't mm. until a good few years later that he was really open about his sexuality, even mm. though he was wearing makeup. Whereas the mm. other George took it way on <laughs> to like 35 or something, you know, until he got caught cottage in. But, you know, it you either were in one camp or another and, and it was difficult to be in both. Mm. It really was because you'd always have like, oh, your mate. And I'd be like, oh, here we go. And he'd be like, yeah, do you want to tell your mate what I think of him? And they'd be like, oh, can you tell your mate not to say stuff about me? I'd be like, you tell him, please. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd have both of them saying the same thing to me all the time. Really? Yeah. So you were like the go-between between... The, oh, I was the... no one. I was no go-between. Trust me. <laughs> I, I was more of the ghost shit stirrer. So right, I would yeah, shit yeah. stir it up with that one and shit stir it up with this one. 
and then sit back and wait for the fireworks. But what was that thing that happened when you you pushed George Michael off something or something? Oh, it, we were at the Wag Club in Wardour Street, and I was I used to run it, and I was in the DJ box, and it was a Saturday night. George used to come. I mean, it was the it was Saturday night. The Wag was the place to be, and uh, they were all there. And it was at the time that Wham had "I'm Your Man" out that song. And there's there, he at the point in the time there was this girl called Pat Fernandez, and she was a Boy George fan, and she right. was in the first "Do You Really Want to Hurt Me" video, and she was like typical. Then George came along, and Wham came along. She jumped ship and went oh. on the Wham team, so we all hated her anyway for doing that. <laughs> and then she started hanging around with George, you know, pretending as if she was his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and. You know that song came out, and I changed the words to "I'm Your Man" to uh, to and sang it over the mic, and uh, George came charging. And in that uh, in, in back then, the the DJ box at Wag Club, you had to climb up to get into it. Mm. It was it was about three foot, four foot off the floor, and a door. And he came climbing up, and he was trying to get in. And it was locked, and I was like, "Oh fuck off!" And we were fighting. And I just pushed him really hard like that. And he fell backwards and hit his head on the floor. And then then all the security come running and stuff. But George, my George, I I rang him and told told him what happened. And and then the next minute it was in the sun, all over the sun the next day. New Year's Eve, they were outside my house taking pictures of me on my doorstep. And, of course, I thought it was amazing. Uh, But George reckons it wasn't him that told the sun. He totally fucking was. But, you know... uh, (laughs) So, yeah, so, you know, it, it, and it was all over the front pages that I beat George Michael up. But they, I remember them wow. calling me a transvestite DJ. Which was Why did they call you a transvestite DJ? Because I only used to do drag when I was, like, 15, 16. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it was, this, it was the sun, what you expect. They had to put something in, didn't they? Do you get what I mean? Yes, exactly. But you've made a habit of telling people to fuck off at the uh, DJ booth, haven't you? Oh, that's my life story. That's what I do. <laughs> if you ask me for a request the book's called I don't take requests for a reason yeah you, know, you come and literally people will still come and do it I'm like just fuck off tell me since we're on the topic we can't go without you telling me the story about when you told Madonna to fuck off <laughs> I told her to fuck off quite a few times actually over this but the the first time was on her 30th birthday and it was at the wagon Literally, I was so, so, so out of it, so out of it. She came up, she's like, oh, can you play this track we all want to dance to? She had the dancers with her, and I was like, no. She was like, what? I said, no, fuck off, I'm not playing it. And she was like, it's my birthday party. I said, I'm quite aware of what it is, but I'm not playing it, fuck off. <laughs> and, and I remember her just standing there going, and she looked at me, she's like, I thought, here we go, bring it on. And she just like was like, wow. She's like, no one ever tells me to fuck off. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. And high five me and walked off. And I was just like, "Oh yeah, I fucking told you, bitch." But yeah, wow. But yeah, it was, you know, it was yet again another one of those situations where I, you know, saying "fuck off" was just so abrasive in the sense that I didn't want her to come and tell me how what a good job I was doing. Do you mm. know what I mean? I'd rather her hate me and not book me again, so I didn't have to go through the social anxiety around it. So what is that? Where's that from? You were saying earlier about intimacy. You don't want mm. someone to be intimate, so you'd rather tell them to fuck off. There's something about that that I feel I can very much relate to, but I don't know what it is. I, I think that, you know, a, a big part of 
addiction is the fact that we we, we suffer with low self-esteem we addiction chisel chisels away at our self-esteem it chisels mm-hmm. away away it chisels away our self-worth and we don't believe in ourselves we don't believe in ourselves so therefore we can't believe that anyone else will believe in us so mm-hmm. someone tells you they love you they want something they're saying it because they don't mean it i used to remember people go oh my god you played such a great set and i'd be like what the fuck what they mm-hmm. why are they saying that they're taking the piss out of me because i didn't believe really? that i ever did play a great set I didn't believe that I, I was capable. Yeah, it, that was the way it's always been with so many in so many areas. Don't get me wrong; it's not like that today. Today, I have acceptance around that, and I have, you know, I, I believe in myself. I know I'm a fucking good teacher. I wouldn't be doing it at 56 and being where I am yeah. today if I wasn't good at what I did. But you know what? It's taken me 40 odd years of of that uh, of of non-believing. To actually get to the mm. point where I can I can accept that today, but it's taken a lot of work. And I really do believe that it comes from just being a young gay kid, being an addict, and it's in me since day one. Mm. You know, um, and the abuse. I think that the abuse had a lot to do with it. Whereas a child, when I around when I was about ten, and I, and I got sexually abused, mm. I didn't get sexually abused once, and it, that was it. I got sexually abused for about four years. And I and I do believe that that really did change so much in my life because it sexualized me and suddenly being sexualized at the age of ten in such an extent mm. that I realized suddenly my, money was worthless to me because I was being paid. So money suddenly become a dirty thing. I whenever I earned money, I had to get rid of it. I never ever, I never ever respected money. And I, mm-hmm. I still I do today. I, I I'm really good with money today. But before it was like anything I got, I I just thought, oh no, it's dirty. I need to get rid of it. And I and I think that the however much I like to pretend that I was in control of the abuse, and I don't mean I was in control of the person abusing me. I truly believe at, at the time I was handling it really well, and I mm-hmm. truly believe that since that time I handled it well. I never handled it at all. I just ignored it and pushed it to one side. And I think the knock-on effect of that has made me just question so many things in my life, you know, because I'd like to believe that, you know, it didn't you know, it didn't bother me about it. But you know what? It, it had a massive hold on me while I was writing this book and doing that chapter, the abuse chapter. The second day we were writing that chapter, I got really ill, really, really ill. And I, and I thought I had food poisoning. I was chucking up and I had a really bad sweats and everything. And, and basically, it wasn't nothing. I didn't have food poisoning. It was the effects of bringing that stuff to the surface and talking about it. Mm. I could smell the person. I could really? see them. I could, uh, yeah, I could really smell them. I could smell them in the room. I could smell everything about them. And it just, that's when I realized, wow, I've got such a long way to go with that stuff. Because I'm a plower. I plow. I will plow through and everything will go to the sides and build up and build up and then suddenly it will cave in on me at some point and before I know it I'm drowning and uh, uh, and that's got a lot to do with the fact that I've always been out to a certain extent out of my depth when it comes to that kind of like self-belief and also you know I think it's important to say that no 10 year old could have coped with that and should have no I agree Uh, I agree you know, you, my heart goes out to you for having to deal with that. And, um, I think that 
by talking about it, it mm. will really, really help people. And it's, and it's I, I, you know, there's so many aspects to this book that, you know, whether it be addiction, whether it be abuse, whether it be wrongly accused for a crime that I didn't do, whether mm. it be, there's so many things, aspects in this book that really will help people. And that's why I kind of wanted it all to be in there. I kind of just thought, you know what, this is really painful for me. But the fact that I could be honest, I'm in a position to be honest, is a really is is a miracle in itself. You know, this is the amazing thing about sharing shit things that have happened to you. Is there is there's part part of it can be like I don't want to talk about it, but the other part could be why should I hide it? I wasn't in control. You know, mm, that totally. doesn't make I doesn't make me any less just because some someone evil did something evil to me. Oh, know? totally, and, and you know what? It's not one of those things. I mean, I I didn't talk about it because I locked it away for so long and then when I actually expressed it to, to the first time I actually came out of it to my mum mm. and I and I, in the book I say I don't know whether I said it as an attention seeking thing at the time because I wanted her to feel sorry for me or it just needed to come out and I really truly believe it needed to come out for a very long time mm. um, but you know I know now that uh, I put myself into the circus arena once more by talking about this stuff. And I just had to make sure I, I end up as the ringleader, the, the ringmaster and not the clown. Do you get what I mean when it comes to this stuff? Because, the, you know, also in the book, I talk about HIV and I've been positive for a hundred years, but you know, and it's never been an issue. And I never talk about it because I, I don't need to, mm -hmm. because I, I take a tablet. I'm undetectable. I've been undetectable for 20 odd years whatever you know but i just thought now now that i'm doing a book i need to put it in there and i need to tell people what i went through and mm. what we went through as a community it's all very well watch everyone watching it's a sin and thinking oh yeah it was all shits and giggles until suddenly people started dying it wasn't the case you know it was a really it annihilated our community it you this you know what we went through with covid to the extent of losing people and 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 the fear that we were in, multiply mm. that by a thousand times. Mm. And I mean, I could say a million, but no, realistically, it, multiply it a thousand times. The fear that we went through as mm. a community in those days with no backup from anyone. Yeah, No one cared. No one cared about us. They really did not give a fuck because we were gay and we deserved it and we brought it on ourselves. And, and I really think that it was really important to touch on that in the book and bring that to the surface because, you know, people couldn't bury their own children. You couldn't bury, you weren't allowed to bury someone that died of HIV. You yeah. couldn't put them into the ground. And you, the churches wouldn't do ceremony. Mm. And, you know, and it was just, the, 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 it was the magic of the few. There, there were some really amazing people that really, really shone a light in those times. Do you get what I mean? Yes, 100%. And then you've become one of those people now because a lot of what you've done since is, maybe I'm wrong here, I don't quite know the timeline, but like since getting sober, you have mm. done a lot of your own activism around HIV as well as recovery and all that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of, I think it's, I can't turn back the time. I can't go back and apologise to people that I un unknowingly gave HIV to or unknowingly put into situations that were awful situations caused mm -hmm. by myself or, or the group of people I, I was with or whatever else. I can't turn back that clock. But what I can do is make tomorrow better. 
I can mm. make today okay and I can make tomorrow fucking better for mm. other people. And mm. by being, we lead by example. This is how we, you know, whether it be addiction, whether it be so many other things in my life, you know, uh, we have to lead by example. And, mm. you know, if I sit at home and I'm, I'm slagging people off on social media, I'm of service to no one. Yeah. You know, I'm of yeah. service to no one. But if I'm out there and I'm putting out that, you know, we did that documentary with Mixmag at the beginning of, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it like three years ago. We filmed it and then we had the premiere of it in the February and then in the March we went into lockdown. It's been seen by like just over six and a half million people now. Mm. And and that was the first time that people really, I kind of really opened up like vocally on film about addiction apart from the time when I did the chemsex stuff as well. I just think it's really important that if you have a platform, use it wisely. Yes. Use it wisely. There's so many people struggling for help and they don't know how to get it. Yeah. 2020 fucking too. And so many people are still struggling with coming to terms with who they are. You know, we, I was doing that in 1983, 82, mm. 81, 79, coming mm. to terms with and And still today, those people are still in the same situation. And you just think to yourself, where's the growth? Do you get what I mean? And I kind of just think... We owe it to uh, to other people to just point them in the right direction. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, you spoke a bit about, uh, which I thought was really interesting, about when when you went on Channel Four and had to semi-explain to Jon Snow what barebacking was. Which is, <laughs> I remember yeah. when that happened. I yeah, just... uh, you, you know, because I've been an act, like a real activist against chemsex, not against chemsex or the use, but chemsex abuse. Yeah. Chemsex use is a totally different thing. People that use drugs and having a good time, I applaud you. I, I'm one of the I'm one of the unfortunate ones that can't do that because mm. I don't have a stop button. But certain people, but when it goes from recreational to addiction, there's a totally different thing. And I kind of was watching what was going on in London. It was annihilating all of my friends. Every all mm. my social circles were fucked, and I was getting so many people coming to to me to asking for help. And you know, I had to do something. So. Me and Dave Stewart, the late Dave Stewart now, he just passed away recently, who 
was a great activist at 56 Dean Street, changed so many people's lives that are better around chemsex and HIV. We kind of just thought, okay, we, we are in a position to help people. Let's do it. So, you know, we, we kind of like went against the grain. Me going on Channel 4 put a big hole in, in, in a lot of people's gayness. They didn't yeah. like it. They didn't like the fact that I was bringing it to the surface and saying, look, this is what's going on. Because it was all professionals, you know, it was like lawyers and doctors and fucking nurses. Everyone I know doing it had really good jobs. But, you know, the consequences of it at the end, they didn't, they didn't have good jobs anymore. They all lost their fucking jobs mm. because of the drugs they were taking. And to go on the on Channel 4 News with Jon Snow, who is a fucking – have you ever met Jon Snow? No. Legend. He's an absolute legend. You know, he he's understanding of things, it, it, you know. but you meet people, certain people in media, and they're so blinkered. With Jon Snow, he was so open to understanding a situation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then when we were talking in the makeup room beforehand, and I mentioned barebacking, <laughs> he's like, what's that? And I said, we'll talk about it. He said, let's talk about it on the program. Don't tell me now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that's why I came about. So I was like, you know, having to explain what barebacking was, where people <laughs> have sex without condom. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> at seven <laughs> o'clock in the evening you know um yeah it didn't go down too well it didn't go down too well within our community it's funny isn't it because i feel like there's two things going on with that which is that it's when you're talking about the lack of support for people with hiv like the community has been portrayed in the wider world as being uh and same thing happened to george michael you know like sexual deviance underbelly so 100%. The, talking about chemsex not that that was your intention. Some people see that as you confirming that. Don't let them think that. When actually, 100%. because we're so used to keeping it secret to ourselves because we don't expect help. Well, you know what? Also, secrets kill. At the end mm. of the day, secrets kill. If you hold on to something, it will be it will eat you up, and it will turn into and manifest into something such a bit such a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. So, by d talking about it and, and talking about it and being honest and just saying this is what's going on, you mm. know. We, I wasn't pointing the finger at our community. I was pointing the finger at the fact that this is the situation that no one yet again is helping with because there are no yeah. stats. So people are turning a blind eye to it. Do you know, there were kids dying of G overdoses uh, and with G withdrawal in police cells. At one point, there was something like 130 deaths in, in, in 18 months of, of, of under 22-year-olds in police custody that had been stopped in the street and they had their G bottles taken off them and they all died because they were take, they were so like, you know, mm, mm. it was insane and no one was doing anything about it. No one was speaking up because yet again, they didn't want anyone to judge them on it. Do you get what I mean? And I kind of think, you know, the word chemsex was such a, such a horrible word. Do you get what I mean? It sounds, yeah. it sounded fucking dirty. It still does to this day, you know? Uh, and I kind of just, you know, Moved on when we started doing working with the drug, like the rehabs and the detox centers and everything. We kind of changed it to gay lifestyle issues to a certain extent because it was more of a gay lifestyle issue yeah. than it was yeah. a drug problem. Do you know? And I kind of just think it sounded so much better. We weren't trying to reinvent it or anything like that. But actually, what I was trying to do was to take that dirtiness away from it. Yeah, and and also the the we went up to the LGBT Foundation in Manchester and did an episode of this podcast on it, and we spoke to people who've you know come through it, not come through yeah, it, amazing. all the rest. Yeah, and 
it is a lifestyle thing because a lot of people were saying that you know they've kept their sexuality a secret therefore they kind of drugs is how you link to other people and then you mm-hmm. end up in this spiral that and no one's there to help you and they should be you know but the, the sad thing is the fact that they think right as a kid that you be you know being a part of being gay is to take those drugs just so that you can link with other people yeah there's yeah. how insane is that do you mm, get what i mean mm, that you think yeah. you have to do that you know back in the days of when i was a kid before drugs the the, the link that we all had to be, to making us gay was putting yes on the on the end of everything so it'd be like <laughs> heavens is trades you know that that was kind of it that was like you know then it's only these days it's like okay you go to london or you go to manchester you get on this scene you get in with it you try to be impressed these people by taking this you know i still have these conversations with kids that have been to parties and end up being abused and or or gone under and then end up being raped and what you know it's it the story's never ending and it and it and it really rips my heart out that it still goes on, but it will always go on because that's drugs. You know, that's drug drug abuse. It's it's not a great thing at all. And also there's something about drugs that it brings people together. But I have to say, you are never really together. It, You're not even in the fucking same room. Yeah. I wasn't. Do you go what I mean? No. I, I, you know, I talk about it in the book about how E's brought up the whole of London together and the whole world together in so many senses when MGMA came around. And then as soon as the drugs started changing and started getting cheaper and people were manufacturing different, using different ingredients, it, mm. it tore everyone apart because suddenly people got violent again. People didn't have that feeling of love like they did originally. You know, it's like, so suddenly when you start to overuse or start to abuse something, mm. you're not going to start loving something. Yeah. It. Do you get what I mean? It's in the word abuse. Do you yeah. get what I mean? It becomes abusive. You said a lovely thing, which is like you start to learn that you're not having the party, the party's having you. A hundred percent. You know, and I always say this to people now, just they, they but one advice and about start I just one simple thing is to remember you're not the party. You're not the party. You can just go home. You know, nothing's going to change whether you're there or not. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Just yeah. go home. You don't need to be like, you know, because I always thought I was the party. Everything evolved around me. Fucking hell. How deluded. And unless you were being fun, maybe you weren't lovable. Yeah, totally. Unless I was ripping the shit out of everyone in the room and making them cry. And I put, made them fit. I either wanted them to fear me. Or I wanted them to love me. And it was the same. Fear was, was very close to love. I'd settle for that. I'd be happy with that. Well, I remember you speaking about there was a fear of your dad as well. And mm. a lot of love for your dad. So Amazing. You know, if I can't control something, I'll try to destroy it. Mm-hmm. And I've always done that, you know. And, and I think that's a learned behaviour from from my dad from as a kid. Do you know what I mean? Being brought mm. up that way. But, it, you know... We can unlearn those behaviours, and that's the beauty of it. We're, if we're willing to change, the world's your oyster, man. It's just finding that courage to to get to make that change. Mm. What is next for you? What what's uh, on the horizon? So the book comes out in May. Uh, this summer, I'm, I've got uh, I've, I've residencies in Ibiza. There's so much stuff going on, work wise, mm-hmm. DJing wise, and then I, I kind of just. We're in talks at the moment about uh, 
a, a couple of TV series things and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm 56. I don't want to be DJing at 66. I want to move into a different area of my life. And I think it's time to move into like media, like TV or something like that. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. You know what? I, I started off in life with no goals. Yes. And, and my biggest goal today is going to bed knowing that my side of the street is clean and everything else will come from that. Yeah. Everything else. So I don't know what's next. Yeah. I really don't. And I, I just, I just want things to keep getting better because right mm. now I, I'm in probably in the best place I've ever been in my life in so mm. many areas, you know, without that destruction of trying to destroy it. I'm in a new relationship mm. and I really found what it feels like to be happy. I really have without trying. And that's a fucking massive thing for somebody like me. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. It really is. Just I go to bed laughing. I go to bed smiling. I, I wake up smiling. And what, wow. a, what a wonderful thing and what a thing to enjoy for, you know, while, it, while it's happening. It really, it really is. And I just, I just really hope people read this book and take it for what it is and just yeah. connect with the bits of their own shame. Because, you know, as I say in the book, you can judge me on this, but no one's no one's going to judge me as much as I judge myself with everything <laughs> in this book. Yeah. And, you know, I don't feel shame about anything in the book because I've already lived that shame, you know, many times over. And also, like you said, like no, secrets that don't ever have any secrets. I do think that is the secret to life. Don't have any secrets. 100%. Don't, I don't, don't have to. You. I think the reason... I'm so happy within my new relationship is I have no secrets in this relationship. Mm. Every relationship I've ever had has always, I've always held a bit back. I've mm. always had this corner or this box for the fucking toxicity mm. hiding in the corner. Or, you know, there's always been an elephant playing a banjo in the living room. Do you get <laughs> what I mean? But with this relationship now, I, it's the most transparent relationship I've ever been. In and I just think that that's the, the key to it. That transparency. Could this mean wedding bells for you? No, fuck off. It, it, <laughs> that's not that's not up to me. Do you get what I mean? For once, there's another thing, you know, normally I like to think that I'm, if I want to get married, I'll get married. But, you know, it's not about that stuff today. There's two of us in this relationship, which is fucking meant in itself. Because no, always before, it's always been one. Right. Yeah. And that's been me. Yeah. And, and addiction of some shape or form, and yeah. right now I don't have any of those shapes or forms anymore. I'm I'm a happy customer. That's mad. I love Tony. That is what a wonderful chat that was. Now, what have we got, got coming up? We've got a springtime special next week. We've got a brilliant chat with someone called Arthur Parkinson. Arthur is a brilliant gardener, really, but he also looks after chickens. And what I love about him is Arthur is someone who really advocates for getting outdoors and how it can help with depression. And he talks very honestly about his own depression and how plants and chickens looking after chickens has helped him it's just a really wonderful story but we talk about he gives me a a tour of his garden and we talk about how we can all get no matter what kind of home we live in whether it's a tiny flat or whatever how we can get some springtime flowers and beauty into our homes this summer so it's such a brilliant episode one of my favorite chats i've done in a long time and actually in person as well so i went over to arthur's house and he took me for a guided tour of his garden and it's just beautiful and i've taken loads of pictures so you can see all of them we'll post them as we release the episode as well 
hope you enjoyed the fat tony chat let me know what you thought hello at homo sapiens podcast.com at homo sapiens on instagram facebook at homo sapiens podcast and write send us your agony uncles hello at homo sapiens podcast.com i think i may have said that already i'm not quite sure loads of love listeners this has been a delight it always is this is the thing however hundreds of episodes in and it's the brightest bit of my week every time love you all bye now mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 